October is National Energy Awareness Month, and as RVers, we typically use a lot of fuel to tow or drive our motorhomes. Stay tuned to learn about an alternative and renewable fuel source that you can start using today without any modifications to your diesel engine. Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. It is possible to have the smell of popcorn emitting from the exhaust of your diesel truck or motorhome. In this episode, I chat with an expert on a renewable solution to those of us RVers who run a diesel engine. Joining us today is Tyson Kiever, the Chief Operating Officer for Sequential a manufacturer of biodiesel in Oregon. What once started in his garage with some buddies has grown over the years into a full-scale production operation. Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I checked out some of your podcasts and uh, what you're doing. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, thanks. First off, can you give me a little bit of a brief introduction about you as the Chief Operating Officer for Sequential and kind of a little bit about your background? I served as co-founder and CEO of Sequential for 16 years. We kind of grew out of the garage as a club between 1998 and 2002 in Eugene, Oregon, uh, with a couple of buddies from a, uh, our family restaurant. We started with a little truck making deliveries to people's homes of biodiesel. And then in 2005, we opened up a, a plant in Salem, Oregon, and a, a different kind of fuel station in Eugene, Oregon, uh, that sold just high blends of biodiesel and, and ethanol. Had a convenience, had, still is an operation day, has a convenience store with a green roof over the top and a lot of healthy snacks and healthy grab and go stuff. And then we kept growing in 2018. We ended up looking for more investment capital and we took on a new investor and kind of had a kind of holistic change of ownership and joined up with Crimson. I moved from the CEO hat over to the COO hat at that point. Now we have the largest biodiesel plant in California and the only plant in Oregon and a cooking oil collection network all up and down the West Coast. I like that it started in somebody's garage. Those are the fun stories. Yeah. So Tyson, can you explain with me, you know, like at a high level, how biodiesel is made? There's a book that you can check out called From the Fryer to the Fuel Tank. It's kind of the homebrewer's Bible of making biodiesel. And it's it was written around 1998, 1999. So you could take vegetable oil in a blender at home in your kitchen. And when I say vegetable, it could be canola oil, olive oil, cottonseed oil, animal tallow, used cooking oil, whatever. And you're going to titrate that oil and check it for water content and for free fatty acid content. Depending on the water, you want as little water as possible. Depending on the acid content, which the more degraded the oil it is, the higher the acid content will be. You're going to mix up a little cocktail with some potash or KOH mixed with methanol. Those are pretty nasty materials to be working with at home in your kitchen or even in your garage. But mix them together and put them in the blender with a little heat and agitation and the product will separate. It's the process is called transesterification and the glycerin molecule is being broken off of a triglyceride and it becomes a methyl ester. And so from there, you've got nine parts biodiesel and one part glycerin. We're going to take that glycerin and we're going to purify it a little bit further in our commercial process. Or we're, going to, we're going to take the, the ester, excuse me, the biodiesel and purify it a little bit further and then test it, confirm that it meets ASTM standard, and then it's good to be sold in the market. That glycerin phase in the bottom still has some unreacted methanol and some 
some unreacted oil, and we're going to recover that for the next next step in the process. The reason why I don't encourage people to make biodiesel at home is because of that, that kind of bottom fraction to have an efficient, safe yield and recovery. You really want to make sure you have distillation column and and safe recycling use and handling practices in place, fire suppression, and all of that. Interesting. Okay. Does biodiesel at all perform differently than uh, traditional petrol diesel? Biodiesel has higher cetane and higher lubricity. So when you think about the rattle of an older diesel engine, the higher the cetane, the more smooth that rattle will become. So it quiets down the vehicle with the cetane. And with new ultra-low sulfur diesels out in the market, biodiesel having higher lubricity, it's a great additive to diesel, actually, to, to bring some lubricity back to it to prolong your engine life. Biodiesel is a solvent, so it will clean up old fuel systems. And so uh, we recommend that when you're new to biodiesel, you know, because it's interchangeable with petroleum diesel, you can use it in neat form in most vehicles on the road, meaning pure biodiesel, but there's use and considerations that I'll get into, or you can use it in a blend. And so we standardize it across the industry and we reference probably three primary blends, B5, which is 5% biodiesel, B20, which is 20% biodiesel, and B99, which is 99% biodiesel. Use of B5 is every in every gallon in the state of Oregon. No use, no considerations, just pour and go. Every time you buy a gallon of diesel, it has B5 in it. B20 is a year-round fuel. There's not a lot of locations that offer it up in Oregon. There's a couple dozen. Um, and there's some good websites you can go to, the National Biodiesel Board website or Clean Fuels America. And it'll give you a map of where to buy it anywhere across the country. But B20 is pour and go year round. Don't worry about it. Put it in any vehicle, go forward. Most engine manufacturers will say good to go. When you get above B20, there starts to be some considerations with cold weather and biodiesel will, will start to congeal like diesel uh, at, at freezing temperatures. So we can additize the diesel and let it operate much colder temperatures, but there's not a real good additive for biodiesel aside from winterized diesel. I have read that the efficiency of biodiesel fuel means you might get less miles per gallon. Is that true or not true? So, uh, yeah, the BTU per gallon of biodiesel varies given the production process and given the feedstock you use to make it. If you use recycled cooking oil versus animal tallow versus soybean oil, it's going to have different BTUs per gallon. Mm -hmm. But I think most of the biodiesel you're going to find out there in a 20% blend, the BTUs are going to be within a few percent per gallon of a regular petroleum diesel. So I don't think you're going to notice anything. If you do go to higher blends, I ran B50 and B99 for a long time in, in my Volkswagen Jetta. And I definitely would notice, you know, climbing hills and whatnot, just, just not the same, um, same acceleration. So there is a bit of a notice there. You had mentioned about the considerations for anything over B20. What are those kind of considerations? It's, it's a good question. And it's a little bit multi-tiered depending on the vehicle that they're, that they're running. So cold weather is one. And most, most RVers, I presume, uh, are, are kind of handy by trade, you know, a little bit of do-it-yourselfers. The easiest little cheat that I recommend is get a little glass jar and put a little biodiesel in there and, and look at it and put it in your car, put it in the glove blocks, put it, put it somewhere in your camper and, and pull it out every now again and see if it's getting cold. Is there any fallout in there? And what happens, we used to call it the popsicle award. Uh, if you have fuel that congeals in your vehicle because you have B99 and it's, you know, 18 degrees outside overnight, your car will have a hard time starting in the morning. And so you'll have to 
either pull it in the garage or wait till it warms up. The ambient temperature gets, you know, 30, 40 degrees for a few hours and it starts up and goes forward. But we used to joke around, not high stakes, but brown popsicle ward. Newer vehicles, newer engines, the higher pressure systems um, have some regenerative uh, cycles they go through. Because biodiesel has a higher flash point, as you get to those higher blends, um, there can be some crankcase oil dilution over time. So a real safe way to check it. Some of those, those newer vehicles, I had an eco diesel for a while, and then I had a, a GMC 3500 to pull my camper. Um, they'll recommend 10 and 15,000 mile oil change intervals. That's a long time for a vehicle that's working hard. So if you check your dipstick every every three to 5,000 miles, and if you notice any smell, that's a, that's a telltale sign to, to, to change your oil. And you might have a problem with some of those higher pressure systems. Sprinter vans, we've heard some reported issues with high blends over time and recommend more frequent oil changes. You know, three to 5,000 miles, not the 10 to 15. Back to real quick, the, the cold weather stuff. If you have a heater block, does that help negate or is that still? Absolutely. And people have, have modified vehicles since the beginning of the industry to be able to run high blends year round. Yellowstone National Park had a great case study. It's published online. There was, I don't know, 100,000 miles in some of their, their park trucks running 100% with some block heaters. So just simply they warm up the product before it congests, before it combusts. And then the return line within the truck is enough to, uh, to keep the tank warm after it's going. Others will combust on, on diesel and use the research to warm up the biodiesel tank and just switch to the other tank and they're off and running. I didn't know that about Yellowstone and for them to do that. And I know, you know, Willie Nelson in the early 2000s was a huge advocate for biodiesel. He was trying to open up truck stops in Texas. He was an investor in sequential. See, and I mean, I love Willie Nelson anyway. That's just super cool. Why do you think biodiesel, uh, you know, has not become such a discussed solution for re renewable energy with our current fuel solutions? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think there has been a bit of a, the original diesel engine built by Rudolph Diesel was meant to run off peanut oil. So the vision has been there since the very beginning to be able to grow your fuel, like hay for your horses, you know, oil seed crops for your, for your tractors. Um, so it's not a new idea. The passenger vehicle fleet in the United States is less than 5% diesel and shrinking. Whereas in other parts of the world, it's, you know, upwards of 50% of the passenger vehicle market, given the efficiency, but but U.S. consumers just haven't got there. Therefore, the market penetration for biodiesel early on and for most of the last decade has just been nominal and mostly used at large truck stops and in, in big fleets um, and municipal customers. There's new, there, as there's been evolution in biodiesel technology, there's been some new breakthrough methods of processing vegetable oils, other low carbon fuels into renewable diesel. And what renewable diesel is, is basically taking a hydro treater where you make petroleum diesel and introducing fats, oils, and greases to it, as opposed to petroleum. So biodiesel is a separate chemical process. The sterification process is different than hydro treating and making renewable diesel. It's hard for the little guys to compete with scale with, you know, Conoco or BP or Marathon that are getting in the space and they're producing, you know, significantly more scale of renewable diesel at their large refineries than than, than biodiesel producers can make on small scale. So their cost of conversion is less and engine manufacturers are adopting renewable diesel approvals at a higher rate than, than biodiesel. And so the biodiesel industry went through a rapid phase of consolidation and now it's transitioning to more renewable diesel. So you'll hear renewable diesel come up more and more. Most truck stops in the country, the pilots and uh, loves truck stops, travel centers, almost all of those are gonna sell 
20% biodiesel, 80% renewable diesel year round, and you won't even know it. Well, it was interesting. So I just drove across country this summer with our trailer. I did 10,000 miles, big loop all the way around the United States. And there were a couple of diesel pumps that had three or four different diesel options when I was trying to fill up. And then I did see a couple at Pilot and Love that had um, B20. And they'll have what's called R80 B20, which is renewable diesel 80%, biodiesel 20%. Renewable diesel is going to have real low uh, lubrication compared to biodiesel, similar to petroleum diesel. And so biodiesel is a great additive mixed with renewable diesel. So R80 B20 is a common blend that you'll see more and more if you pay attention closely to the pump. Um, a lot of Oregon, California, uh, Midwest, Washington, they're going to sell it. That's, well, that's awesome. I mean, it's exciting. So in Washington state and in California about electric vehicles being the only new vehicles sold in 2035, biodiesel doesn't have much in the way of tailpipe emissions. It's a clean burning, right? It doesn't add to the ozone or pollution. The product we make is about 80% uh, cleaner, has lower carbon intensity than petroleum diesel. So it's much, much better from life cycle CO2 emission. But I, while those laws are being talked about, they're aspirational still. And they're just, there isn't a solution for heavy freight today uh, other than, than biomass-based diesels. I think most of that conversation is about you know, kind of single-purpose passenger vehicles going to the electric. I would agree. But I'm, I'm also, you know, right, I'm looking at it from an RVer standpoint. And what does that mean for my motorhome? Or there's, there's a lot of talk about some really exciting product out there that um, whether it's hydrogen vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, uh, electric trucks. Uh, you see it in the marine space right now where there's some some boats that are 100% electric powered by with solar panels all across the top. If you have the, the roof space on an RV, maybe you can get shorter range, 100, 200 mile range between charges and then filling up. But there's a lot of power off the grid that's going to need to be generated to, to fuel all that. Um, right. So what do you think the future of biodiesel looks like? You know, in order for the industry to be wildly successful, they only need to capture a small percentage of the overall petroleum diesel market. Hopefully, as engine manufacturers continue to come around and get more comfortable with hundreds and millions of miles of experiential data, they'll get more and more comfortable with, with the established standards that we have through ASTM for, for the product, and they'll get more comfortable in endorsing higher and higher blends. I think governments are going to continue to have carbon reduction initiatives and see that biodiesel and renewable diesel are carrying the weight today and are a viable solution now to reduce carbon footprint and, and continue to promote renewable energy. And as long as we're, we have heavy freight needs with pulling our campers or, or rail or locomotive or taking our product to market, biodiesel is a great solution and it's available today. Yeah, that's, that's what's so exciting about it as a, a solution. My understanding is that if you have a newer diesel, you should not actually be running biodiesel. Is that true? So yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of emotion here. So I'm gonna tell you a real quick story. The Magnuson Moss Act passed in 1978. It was a, a case against Volkswagen Audi that said that you had to use their coolants and lubricants in order to have the warranty ma maintained in their vehicles. And the court said, no, you can only warrant the quality and craftsmanship of your, of your product to run on a certain spec fuel. So now we have this situation where they have to make a vehicle that can run on a certain spec fuel. And as long as you are buying and putting product in that meets that spec, then they're responsible to hold up their, their warranty. 
ever since day one, we joke around in our industry about cracked windshields and flat tires from people using biodiesel. Completely unrelated to the fuel system. If there's a problem with the vehicle and the dealerships have heard that you're running biodiesel, they're going to blame it on biodiesel. Again, completely unrelated transmission type issues. Still to this day, we deal with a pretty heavy prejudice of, you know, it's a bad fuel or someone's making it in their garage or they, they don't purify it or anecdotal stories that are not grounded in fact about problems that may be caused. My experience and our broad, vast user experience has been that biodiesel is, is fine for any vehicle on the road and 20% blend, any car year round. And the fact of the matter is most trucks, most vehicles are already getting it just not knowingly when they pull up to the pump today. So engine manufacturers will say B20 is okay. Newer vehicles, it's, it's been this case since again, day one in our business, whether it was 2000 models or 2005 models, 2010, 15, 20, they always say, Cracked windshields, flat tires, it's all from biodiesel. But at the end of the day, not the case. If there happens to be any listeners who don't have have a newer diesel, like a 2014 or newer, but they don't have the diesel particulate filter on their vehicle, can they run higher blends than B20? So uh, what I advise users that have higher miles vehicle, higher mileage vehicles that have used a lot of diesel, they might have some, some sediment deposits build up in their fuel system because diesel is dirty. So when they're going to use it, use it in a little blend first. Don't go from a full tank of diesel down to empty and put 100% biodiesel in there. Get it down to half full. Use, use your first tank of B20. And the next time it's half full, put a little bit more in so you get to B50 and then B75. And if you're going to go back to diesel, you know, work your way back down. So manage your blends so you're not slamming your system from an empty tank to a full tank of different products. And the only situation that might occur is as you have a lot of miles on a sediment, sediment buildup in your system, you might clog a fuel filter. So it's a good idea to have an extra fuel filter on hand. But chances are you've been filling up with these truck stops already that have B20 in and that has the solvent effect and it's going to keep your fuel system clean. It's remarkable in that. Uh, in that case study done by Yellowstone, these two trucks running side by side for this you know, significant amount of miles, they tore them apart at the end and how much cleaner the fuel system and the injectors looked in the one running pure biodiesel versus petroleum diesel. You know, the coking was way less. Manager blends. Mm -hmm. And if you notice any loss of power, go to your fuel filter first and change it out. If somebody is making the switch from a petrol diesel to a biodiesel maintenance schedule, would you recommend? I would stick mostly to the engine manufacturer's recommendation. And maybe as you, get, okay. as you get closer to your next fuel change and you've not used higher blends and you want to go check out B50, get out of your truck, listen to it run, go around to that. I can't tell people to smell their tailpipe, but right. notice the odor right before your next oil filter change, put some biodiesel in there and run it for a couple hundred miles. Notice your engine quiet down as that cetane, higher cetane smoothens out the rattle. Notice the black smoke turn more clear and white. Notice the smell get less toxic run it for a couple hundred miles and then change your fuel filter and you're probably off and fine and running. Is there a place I can find sequential biodiesel up here in Washington state? We sell a bunch of product into, into Washington, but a lot of it goes to truck stops. So, you know, Pilot, Loves, Musket, uh, TA, they're almost all going to be selling biodiesel today already in our ADB 20 blend. There's a website that is on biodiesel.org that you can check out that will tell you where to buy biodiesel. So you can go to biodiesel.org and enter in find biodiesel and it'll give you a, a station locator for anywhere in the country for whatever blend you're looking for. And as you're traveling across the country. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you as we get close to wrapping up that I should ask you? You know, people ask us just once one of our biggest hurdles 
And it's just people understanding that biodiesel is not different with, you can use straight vegetable oil in a diesel. If you modify your diesel engine, you can use biodiesel in a diesel engine because we modify the fuel. So biodiesel, renewable diesel, they are pour and go. People don't know they've been using it. They think it's a big deal to try it. It's not. You've already been using it if you've been fueling any major truck stops. So just put it in your put it in your truck and go. And before you do, if you've not been using it, you don't think you've been using it, take a minute and check out, listen to your vehicle. And then uh, from there. So well, Tyson, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day again to uh join us here on RV Out West. I really appreciate it. And it was a great talk about uh, biodiesel. I learned a lot. So thank you. Thanks for spreading the word. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening. To help the show grow, please share with your RVing friends and family about this podcast. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me via rvoutwest.com. In our next episode in two weeks, I'm going to dive into the city that I live in. Our city is usually a stop between destinations for most travelers, but we've got some cool things to see and do and some great campgrounds that are only 20 to 30 minutes away. I'm going to spill the beans on all things Everett, Washington. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.